Hello and welcome to We Bought a Mic. And judging Woo! by that somber, voiceless intro, we are in solidarity today with the biggest news of all time, the biggest news item that has ever happened in the history of this podcast and the world. It's Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas dating. Ugh. I don't want to talk about it. It's it's the it's the one thing that's taking everybody by storm. Nobody saw it coming. It's going to change everything about the world. Who well, could have thought? Was post, there was a post-credit scene in The Way Back in which Anna de Armas actually comes and saves him from alcoholism. So, oh wow. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. She's playing Marta. <laughs> <laughs> Well, boys, we're here uh, on the first remote recorded Wabam ever. And I got to say, you know, we have been out of town certain moments, certain days, but we had never wanted to record um, remotely. There was always if, if, if we couldn't be in the same room, we wouldn't do the podcast uh, or somebody had to sit out and it would just be two out of three. This is the first time we're doing it this way. Um, and shit's getting real. Shit's getting fucking well, real in the should, world today. It's because, it's because we are all, we all have it. We all have it. It's done. We've infected millions of people in the Orlando area already. By the time this comes out, if this even does come out, Orlando might just be gone. Mm-hmm. So. We well, have. We have swine flu. Um, <laughs> I got it from watching Transformers 2 when there's that really, really bad ADR line that they threw in in post where he's like, oh, dead pigs everywhere. Uh, swine flu. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that that's going to happen for movies released in late 2020? They're going to ADR in uh, line I... of Corona. Well, uh, do you, this do you is think the... that they're going to... <laughs> They'll have to take that back to uh, edit it in Peter Rabbit 2. search <laughs> for the big gooey strawberry. This is the worst reboot of the Black Plague ever. Mm. Jesus Christ. It's enough. Enough with the fucking reboots, Hollywood. Well, we should introduce ourselves. I'm Ernest. All right. Hello. Well, I am Hunter. Um... <laughs> oh, you're back. <laughs> yeah, we lost you there for a second. So fresh, fresh take there, introducing ourselves. Ooh, and I'm um, a very somber, the magical Mr. Mistopheles. Oh, man. Oh, Mr. you've graduated. Mr. Mistopheles no has uh, tested positive for the coronavirus. He is currently in uh, intensive care. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, this is, uh, this is a big deal. There's a lot to talk about here. I, you know, last time we did a podcast, it was a week ago. And this is the longest week. This, this has been the longest week of my life. The world was so different one week ago. So much has happened. And so much is going to happen over the next week. It's a lot of un- uncertainty, a moment of a lot of uh, unknowns in the world today. Uh, I mean, we do know that the virus has ravaged China and Italy and South Korea and all these other places. And we know it's here in the States. 
Uh, and now it's just a matter of bracing for the hit. Uh, and over the course of the last week, um, Hollywood started shutting down everything. Uh, production, releases, virtually every movie coming out for the next month has been postponed indefinitely. Then came sports, NBA, NFL, uh, NHL, everything just like dominoes shutting down uh, to try to contain the spread. But uh, Domino's is, is not shut down. Yeah, we have a special <laughs> uh, sponsorship. If you use uh, offer code COVID-19, you get 75% off your pizza delivery. And we promise you that the delivery guy will not touch the pizza. Yeah. It's just- not like a hard guarantee, but it's like, it's like, a, it's like an honest man's handshake it's yeah, like, it's a like a really long hand <laughs> like you're really really shaking that hand yeah uh definitely maybe on that yeah i was gonna say you know don't tell the people where i work that this is serious because business is good <laughs> people are fucking coming in people really need to buy their their products before the apocalypse comes literally and they're like i gotta get shoes right now like what (laughs) they're this entire mall that i'm at is just it's not like packed it's less busy than usual but we're like hitting goals for the day that's that's insane to me that people are wanting to go out into a mall which is one of the most crowded things that's like one of the worst ideas of a place to be is at the mall it's fucking any wars i used to work at a bowling alley and I still know some people who work at this bowling alley, and they have been super dead. And that makes total sense because a bowling alley is one of the least hygienic places that you can possibly be. Just think about how many people, not just like grab the balls, but put their fingers inside of these finger holes. Awesome. And do you think that they get cleaned in between every single person that puts their fingers in the holes? Awful. No. So. It's really gross. I still have to go to work tomorrow as of recording at 8.02 on Sunday night. Um, That's quickly going to change. Uh, In Florida here, the outbreak is not as prevalent as it is in other places around the country, like New York and Washington State, where, you know, they're already going to hit some type of peak during this week. Here in, in where we're at in Orlando... Our first reported case was on Friday, and we're recording this on a Sunday. So we're still still early days. It's uh, it's day two, day three, I guess, here since the first reported case. So if you're out there listening to this and you have yet to have a reported case in your area, it's coming. I some point or another, unless you live in a highly rural area that's not very traffic, that's far, far away from a major airport or major, um, you know, tourist attraction or anything like that, it is coming. Don't think it's not. It is. And you got to prepare. You got to be ready for it. That's what I've been doing the past 48 hours is just going hard, trying to prepare to hunker down. Yeah, and stay well, at home for at least two weeks. You've been selling toilet paper out of your car. 
Yeah, single when this is leading, only. He's leading the the price gouging front in Orlando for toilet paper. Yeah, I'm one of those guys that unravels the the triple ply into like three <laughs> individual rolls and re-rolls them for yeah, max yeah. profit. I'm just I'm just one of those guys who thinks that I'm gonna just be shitting twenty times a day. Well, and the I virus care. the virus makes you disembowel yourself. The vi- yeah, the virus makes you <laughs> shit out your guts. <laughs> Did you? So, I mean, this is a total aside. Uh, this is a pop culture podcast, and eventually we'll get to the pop culture ramifications. But it feels weird to just talk about movies when there's something as serious as this that's going on right now. But I've been reading all these reports about because everywhere you go, toilet paper is the first thing to sell up before. By the way, cleaning supplies, toilet paper is always the first thing to go in any kind of a national emergency because it's a psychological thing that people feel comfortable if they can at least look in their bathroom and see, okay, I can shit. That's, yeah. that's, it's, it's a thing that it just it's in your mind like, just let me have good toilet paper at least. Let me have the, 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 nice, okay. the nice ceremonial moment of sitting on the fucking toilet and not having to worry about anything else. Just for that one moment. Guess um, what? But yes. every, jokes on them because every time I shit, I just take a shower right afterward. Oh, brown showers. When yeah, that's gonna change. That's gonna have to become the norm, honestly. Yeah. Once all the, because look, this is what I've what I've been thinking about nonstop is we know that this is gonna hit us and it's gonna hit us hard, but we don't know how hard and we don't know how much of a of 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 a hit we're going to take as a society right so that's kind of the mode that i'm in is like it could be something that you know we're at home for two weeks and things get rough a little bit maybe some people will get sick maybe some of those people will die depending on the amount of stress we're putting on our hospitals and medical facilities or this could be something that turns real ugly this could be something that really test the limits of our society and it could signal some sort of unraveling so i don't know what's coming all these movies that have been postponed i don't know if they're ever going to come out are there ever going to be movies again i have no idea it's it's a moment of total total uncertainty and people don't want to accept that they don't want to panic they want to stay calm they don't want to think negative thoughts, but we have never seen anything like this before. We have no clue what this is. And it's fucking scary. It's fucking terrifying. It is scary. I feel like just as long as, and I, a lot of places, it is coming later than it should, but places like New York City, I've heard uh, from various podcasters and writers talking about how it's like eerie New York City right now because it's more dead than it ever is in the city. Um, and I think that more places like that are going to start slowing stuff down. Pretty much every state now has implemented a 500-person ban or at least a 1,000-person ban. Any gathering of that many people uh, is canceled, uh, pretty much yeah. at least postponed. Um of course, I mean, we talked about the NBA at first. I am, you two can see it, the listeners can't, but I am wearing in ceremony a replica NBA Jam shirt of my Boston Celtics because 
for a while they were just talking about how like okay we'll just play games in empty stadium we'll just play games with no fans and nobody will get hurt but in doing that they didn't think about the players themselves might still be carrying the disease which is what's happened Mm -hmm. and now worried about an outbreak it's the same thing with hollywood i mean these movies are getting pushed back, but it's not just the movies. It's also the production behind all these other movies. Yeah. Um, of course, Netflix has said that they're pushing back making of the Marvel movies and the production on that. No. Um, bad news, guys. Filming has stopped on Jurassic World 3. No. Well, virtually every major production has halted. Like, that's what I'm saying about uh, we've never seen anything like this before. Every everything, every major festival, Coachella, uh, Disney World, Disneyland, like any sort of major mass gathering of humans is being put on hold until this thing hits us and rolls past us. And the key here is what people are calling flattening the curve, which means that there is a finite amount of medical resources in our country that can hold uh, sick people. So what this virus does is it ravages your lungs and it basically gives you something similar to pneumonia. So in order to survive that at its worst um, uh, symptoms and, and, and the people who get it the worst, you need to be in a medical facility with, with a breathing ventilator to help you beat it. But if there's not enough beds and there's not enough ventilators, then people are going to die. Oh no, Hunter's coughing. It's already oh, happening. Already oh happening. no. <laughs> because he's been this is why we're doing this. This is why we're doing this remotely. There's there's the been a verified a verified connection between coronavirus and hitting that fat jewel pen. Yeah, the government as is well as sipping sipping on whiskey and sours because. You know, White Claw, it's just not strong enough to kill this thing. It's not. You got to go straight to, the, straight to the liquor to kill it. Yeah. So the one of the main reasons why we're doing this remotely is we want to encourage everybody who's listening to this to stay at home. Practice your social distancing. It's not enough just to wash your hands. Of course, disinfect as much as possible. But the only way that that curve is going to be flattened and we're going to be able to roll out the sickness because people are going to get sick the virus is going to spread but to make it so that it doesn't overburden and and over uh load the medical facilities and the hospitals that's what we're trying to do that's the point of staying at home and not going out trying not to touch anyone or touch anything or engage in any social gatherings or anything And that's going to put a huge burden on our economy. If people aren't going out and they're not spending and they're not engaging in commerce and they're not doing anything to simulate the economy, that's going to be the biggest hit from this whole fucking mess. Not just the virus itself, not just the people that are going to get sick and possibly die, but what is coming from the economic hit from this. Um, and Hollywood is part of that, and and the the entertainment industry is part of that. You know, we don't know if we're gonna if when these movies are gonna go back into production, when they're gonna be released. James Bond was pushed all the way back to November. I I fucking hope that we're over this in November. Please, dear God. 
all signs point towards it being pretty over by November. Yeah. Um, Wuhan yeah. peaked uh, like in February, I think, slash earlier this month. And now Wuhan has almost no reported new cases, which is obviously where it started. Mm-hmm. Uh, they so, had to be very aggressive to get to that point. They had to force people to stay inside, which is probably not something that's likely to happen here. God, you don't got to I don't get it, man. You don't have to force me to stay inside at all. I will do it. <sighs> People are stupid, man. I've been having a great time inside. I've been self-quarant. I self-quarantine myself just on the regular anyways. Mm -hmm. I get to just, if you're listening to this podcast, and you're probably a person who likes music, movies, TV, so just catch up on some shows that you haven't got a chance to watch, that you've been too busy. And remember, whenever you wash your hands, sing the We Bought a Mic theme song. (laughs) (laughs) Sing the of the hundred versions. This is critical. I do have I don't know if you guys saw this, but I have some really bad news. Cause as you guys know, we did plan for a long time to do a live reaction after the fifty-fifth Academy of Country Music Awards on April fifth. Yeah, it course. has been rescheduled to September. No Yeah, did you see did you see the Razzies got postponed too? So oh, we we no! won't see our guy Tom Hooper win worst director. Cats is going to fucking. You thought Parasite dominated the Oscars? <laughs> Cats is going to fucking like uh, silence lambs that shit. As a well, this kind of reminds me. As a resident gambler of the podcast, I actually did think about putting money down on the Razzies for Cats, and I don't know what would have happened. I already don't know what happened to my money. I made bets on March Madness, and now March Madness is just gone. Like the NCAA was just like, nah. You're, are you gonna get your money no. back? I don't know, man. I do it all through very illegal offshore betting sites. Please legalize gambling so I can just do this and I can give the government my money. Please. Um, well, this is all uh, fine and dandy. Yes, yeah, we're in. We're still in early days of this, so okay. uh, stay safe out there. Yeah, stay, stay home. Safe. Don't go full doomer mode, but do just be safe and stay inside and wash your fucking hands like a normal person, you freaks. Um, I'm pretty much going full uh, doomer mode right oh, now. I know you are. My Ernest. girlfriend. Did. Yeah, Ernest My girlfriend is building did. a bunker. That's why he didn't let us come over to his house is because he's in the middle of bunker preparation. Yeah, he's not invited to the bunker. Construction is underway. You probably don't want to come over. You're digging a hole as we speak. <laughs> well, the the biggest thing we're doing is we are going to fully turn most of our lawn into food growing space. Um, so worst comes to worst, and things really go bad. Not just like it could be several levels of bad, uh, but mostly if like we're in a tough spot financially, um, and we're not able to like have money for for food we'll just grow it ourselves and we'll be able to grow it in our yard and it's going to be a lot of work but um this is really serious this is a really serious situation and we don't know how hard it's going to hit us we don't know if if we're going to get sick uh we don't know if our loved ones are going to get sick so everyone just try to think about that try to think about not just you getting sick and what you'll have to do to deal with that but if you get somebody else sick, if you get a loved one sick, are they going to be okay? Are you going to be able to take care of them? These are all things that everybody needs to be thinking about. 
And it's it's a wild moment, guys. Like, this is crazy shit. So a couple other points on that that I wanted to talk about. You've talked about the financial side of it a little bit that we've hinted at. And Grant, we're not doctors and we're not financial experts. Let's get that out of the way. First of all, we are podcasters about yeah, pop culture. Better than so we, we are not the resident authorities to speak to you on that. But there is going to be so many people on the bottom line who are affected by this, who aren't going to be able to pay rent. I mean, people that I know, my girlfriend is a bartender. Places like this either are closing down or they're not like nobody is coming into their work because they're scared of other people being around them, touching their food or drinks or what, what have you. They're scared to leave their homes. And it is scary from that part uh, for the economy. The other thing is that when people talk about worrying about the health and safety, it's not just the people who get, who are getting the virus. Keep in mind that these hospitals are now reaching points where they're at 200% occupancy. And that's not just with people with the virus. Those are people that are having to come in for, let's say it's somebody who has cancer who has regular chemo treatments. And now they aren't able to come in to get their treatments because they have all these other people in there with the virus. So people who aren't taking it seriously – Keep in mind, it's not just about this one thing. It's about how this one thing affects many different things. It's it's a very multifaceted, complex issue. Um, and that's why it's so scary, you know, because it's not just one thing. It's not just people getting sick. It's so much more complicated than that. Um, and I do think the government at some point is going to have to step in and help people out because m- people aren't going to be able to pay their rent People aren't going to be able to function financially um, just straight coming out of this. Like, you got to understand that, like, most people in this country uh, live paycheck to paycheck. I'm pretty sure all three of us do. Like, we don't have money in the bank sitting there waiting for uh, something like this to happen so that we can utilize our savings. There's tons of people who are like that and who have jobs that will guarantee paid leave, paid sick days, and will guarantee that they can come back after an event like this. A lot of people can't. A lot of people don't. And that's what's really is going to stress the limits of this system and this whole thing is what are you going to do about all the people that are not going to be okay if they miss a paycheck that is the big question here and i think the government is going to have to do something and the united states government totally totally to blame for how terrible this thing has gotten because we knew that it was coming we saw it in asia we saw it in europe we've seen what's happening in italy we could have done more to get ready for this and our government hasn't done shit. The president, President Trump, called this a fucking hoax. Called it a hoax. That was like a week and a half ago that he said that. It's, yeah, but I mean, it's... those are just like what he said, like his the president's words. You can't, you can't like quote him. As... <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, but really, the um. The guy who was in charge of, I think, the CDC under Bush has a quote where he said something like, the problem with the pandemic is if 
if everyone prepares how much you should, you end up looking stupid and like you overprepared. But if you don't prepare <laughs> enough, uh, it's a fucking disaster. Yeah, I don't. I don't think exactly. he said. Um, but yeah, so if it all seems a bit much and dramatic, that's a good thing. It means that we're moving in the right direction because it's better to be over dramatic about this than under dramatic. Luckily for me, I work for a company that uh, promised uh, two weeks of paid leave should it come there to that. There you go. Um, there you go. Yeah, so that's great, and more companies should do that. But most companies uh, don't care about, about their employees so much as mine does yeah. because Vans isn't a shoe company. Uh, <laughs> It's a lifestyle that happens to sell shoes, um, and that is something that they repeat over and over. And oh, I didn't—I didn't buy it until today when I was promised free money. And that's the moral. So you should—you're <laughs> saying that you should just go in, you should forge a doctor's note that says you have the coronavirus and that you cannot go into work for two weeks. Is what you're listen. Saying. You don't think we were all talking about that at work today? Then you're. <laughs> Listen, that's a fact, Jack. No malarkey. All it takes is just one person, and then everybody could claim it, really, because yeah. it's highly contagious. Yeah, right? you're allowed to say that you've been exposed to it, and you will be sent home and given two weeks' pay. The yeah. the thing is, though, is I believe our government, our local government, should just mandate people to stay home for two weeks. Like, for the oh, next two cool. weeks, just shut it all down. Shut that everything down. To happen though, Devin Nunes went on Fox News today and he said, You know, if you and your family are healthy, it's a great time to just go out. Yeah, <laughs> he said it's, it's time to travel, to go out. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're, I mean, we're at a certain point we're dealing with like conservative versus liberal, right? And how like the people that are being very cautious about this whole thing are being labeled as like liberal scum and like liberal tears and the people who are like oh it's fine don't worry it's it's just the flu or like never thought that are more conservative doomers or doomers you know (laughs) and And hey just uh, we are not doomers uh we are not a political podcast here but uh maybe having somebody who you know, is into universal healthcare and stuff like that might be nice in a time period like this, but I don't know. Curious day. Don't want that to ruin you listening to a podcast or like our hot Marvel tapes or something, but. Could you imagine if we had somebody or a system in this country that would just guarantee universal paid leave and healthcare to everybody and then you didn't have to be scared to go to the doctor because it was going to cost you $5,000 to not die? Yeah, imagine, wow. imagine an administration that does not put up with malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> We're not saying who. <laughs> yeah. Just vi- vision vision in your head, if you will. Yeah. A certain Joe. <laughs> A couple of Joe. What, I, I wonder how Corn Pop is doing with this virus going around. <laughs> Corn Pop's getting up there now. God, I hope that Corn Pop doesn't have the virus. Dear God. God save Corn this Pop. This would be a disaster. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about uh, some some devs. You guys want to talk about devs? Well, I... <laughs> of coronavirus and everything getting canceled uh, and everything slowing down to nothing, TV, still a thing. TV, <laughs> TV not canceled. New shows still coming out because everyone's just sitting at home self-quarantining 
what are you going to do? You're going to fire up Hulu. You're going to fire up FX on Hulu. So, wait. Before, that was a very awesome transition by you, Ernest. I didn't mean to ruin it. But quickly, one other thing about the news I wanted to hit was about all these movies getting pushed back or delayed till God knows when. Is this the year that the movie industry actually, like, really, really takes, like, a hit that they can't come back from? Oh, yeah. Because Netflix... Entirely Netflix, This isn't hurting Netflix's bottom line. Netflix can still push out every movie that they had planned on the original release date. Yeah. People can sit at home and they can... They can fire up uh, whatever the new shitty Mark Wahlberg movie that came out on Netflix, uh, something confidential. I don't even know what it was called. But they can just fire that shit up right away and just have a fun action movie time with Marky Mark at home without ever having to leave their house. And it's kind of hard to say that, like, when all these movies, 2020 was already looking like a down year without a Star Wars movie and without a Marvel movie coming to theaters that this was already going to be a down year. And this might be something that really does the movie industry in as far as like the movie theater chains go. Yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible. Like I said, we don't know what's going to happen for all we know. Movies could never come out again. (laughs) This shit could get real dark real quick. So So, I don't know what the future of this podcast is with if that's the if that's what happens. Yeah, that's the real tragedy. We'll just have to do remote pods every day. About what books? Ew. (laughs) I I could talk some books. I've been reading a bit this weekend. So well, no, that's that's the whole thing. Is TV is still a thing? I mean, eventually, uh, shows are gonna stop coming out if they don't if they stop producing them but for the foreseeable future there's plenty of tv to go around i think it's coming every movie is going to have to be a part of the unfriended franchise so as <laughs> recording oh remote. hell yes i'm here for it it'll look a lot like this skype call that we're on right now yeah yeah <laughs> so devs is the latest uh big sci-fi show from uh hulu uh, written and directed by Alex Garland, all eight episodes. And I got to say, this show was not what I expected. I mean, it's billed as a tech company story about a tech company that sort of cracks the code of reality. Um, but it's not quite that. Uh, it's only three episodes in, but it's mostly yeah, like it's, it's not kind of like a. Yeah, it's like a slow burn mystery with some sci-fi undertones. Um, so I was kind of taken aback. I was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. And in some ways that was kind of disappointing. But in other ways, I was very intrigued as well. It took me by surprise. Um, so, you know, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to end up loving it because I love Alex Garland and, you know, Ex Machina Annihilation. Love both of those movies. Um but it is like a little bit of a slow burn, which I think is going to pay off. I have faith, but I think so far I'm just like a little bit, little tiny bit disappointed. Um, I, uh, I was not disappointed at all by this show, but I, I really love the way that Alex Garland strikes tone. And there's, I mean, we could 
Well, we can try to avoid spoilers, at least for this part of the show, because I do highly, highly recommend the show. But it is a lot like Ex Machina and um, Annihilation. It really does put tone first, which is something that you can tell that he is really into. And the tone and the production design and the score of this show all lead into each other perfectly and beautifully. And I... I really like the first episode had me hooked immediately, even if I didn't completely know what was going on. And I still don't really know completely what's going on. I don't care. I'm just along for the ride. I mean, episode three started with just like two minutes of like white noise and images of I love it. And I was just like, fucking give this to me right now. Like, this is the closest lynchian thing i've seen on yeah, tv since when peaks real. return and i'm here for it and yeah. it just kept going and going and going that mm-hmm. sequence is uh a big part of what i wanted to say about the, basically everything alex garland has ever made it, it's it has it comes down to the same uh point for me where it's so out of garland this show that, like it, it fully met exactly what i thought it would be because it has the tech company of Ex Machina, like, cracking, like, this really dark sci-fi. What, what is going on? Who's doing this? Are you talking about me? I'm sorry. I'm making a mixed drink while we're on this call. Oh, my God, Hunter. I'm, I'm making a whiskey sour. I could die any Hunter, minute you now. Gotta I'm just mute, going for it. you got to mute yourself. Mute yourself when you're shaking the whiskey sour. Just, just fucking hang it's up. It's too late now. Just it's get too late now. Drew, just go continue, ahead and repeat your point. Continue, Drew. God, how is this going to happen if you, like, move to Boston, Hunter? <laughs> We're not going to be... I cannot stand you when you're not in the room with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the... I think maybe the biggest strength of every Alex Garland piece is the sound design. Is absolutely, like, out of this world good. Uh, it's horrifying. It's, you know, tonally... Uh, a musical when it needs to be. Um, and then he can create like wholly original visionary visuals. Um, and when he combines it with his audio, like know-how it is some of the, are you there Ernie? Yeah. Yeah. I just turned video off to improve oh, the I, I connection. Seeing Hunter making a drink. <laughs> Look, I turned off my mic and- I don't know what else you want from me. <laughs> but here's here's the thing that's always... Because I drafted Garland in my director's draft. Um, I'm obviously pretty high on him moving forward. Lucky I'm, bitch. This show. I really, really love this show. I'm completely hooked. I watched all three episodes just last night, one sitting. But it, it kind of comes down to like a black box argument where uh, the end of Annihilation, the end of Ex Machina, and that three-minute sequence to start episode three... Those are some of the best sequences I've, like, ever seen in my life in terms of just, like, raw effect on the viewer. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it comes down to visual design being combined with audio design in an innovative way, uh, to say the least, especially with this newest one in Annihilation. It's just, like, fucking transcendent. Um, and so when we get the rest of Alex Garland's whole deal, which can involve some kind of hokey dialogue, and some kind of, we'll say, opaque characters, uh, 
you start to wonder, well, why doesn't he just make the whole plane out of that one part, that incredible three minutes? But that's obviously a horrible argument for any type of media because it's not possible to do that most of the time. You need the runway to take off. Um, but if I'm going to take down the show in any way, that is the issue, is there are there are just, you know, there are lower points than there are higher points, and some shows are only high points. Uh, that said... This show is extremely interesting. The concept of it is, uh, you know, it's like really, really high concept sci-fi. Some great performances. Nick Offerman is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, um, doing a very, incredible. very, very different role than we've ever seen from him, but still kind of similar because you know it's the boss type, it's the overseer, the the sort of stoic leader, uh, but just in a completely different context. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of playing like the the opposite of Ron Swanson in this role, like in a lot of ways. I mean, he still has kind of the dour demeanor of it all, but um, he's still probably I, a libertarian as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did want to um, give a huge shout out to um, uh, Sonia Mizuno. Um, the main actress who has emerged from this show because she yeah, is great. And you were right that sometimes the dialogue isn't always exceptional. It's kind of corny in certain points, but yeah. I honestly kind of like that. Like Twin Peaks is my favorite show ever. That show is like so corny. It's pretty much like a melodrama at certain points that it is, but it's going so hard into what it is and i think that she is really doing a lot with a little um and a lot of her sequences especially like i don't mean this in any kind of a negative way but she is a great crier which is an underrated skill to have in a show like this is somebody who like can emote pure sadness and anguish she's, good at, she's really good at hyperventilating yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, exactly not just sounds crying like a, not just the crying, but like the full emotion, the panic that she shows is is really convincing. And I mean, this is the biggest role that she was in. Um, she was in Annihilation and Ex Machina, the other two Alex Garland joints, but as kind of minor roles. So it's nice to see her really like spread her wings in this role here. Yeah, and honestly, what that the... was part of. That was part of my biggest uh, surprise is just the fact that the show revolves around her because uh, um, it doesn't start out that way. So I, I really appreciated that, the fact that they uh, they chose to kind of, uh, you know, sneak that one in, um, you know, and I won't I won't spoil how they do it. But it's uh, that was one of the, the most surprising parts about the show. Um, I did expect the show to be more about the actual devs uh thing the 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 research and development area of this company which is essentially like a google amazon facebook type of thing um with a very cryptic uh sort of ai supercomputer quantum computer division called devs and i i thought the show was going to be more about that and it might it might go into that because they do have the the Allison pill character uh, and those characters sort of uh, looking into all of that. Um, 
but I that's what I was expecting. I thought the show was going to be more about that, but the fact that it's not isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really intrigued where the the other story is going. I hope that it all ties together in a way that it's really satisfying. I hope that they find a way to really um, say some of the big things that they want to say because the show obviously has a lot of big things on its mind about free will and fate and destiny and even like reality and whether or not what we see is is real or or uh you know nature and god and all these things so it's big yeah exactly big themes uh big ideas and and i love shit like this that just goes for the fucking fences i hope that it all uh lands in a way that that feels right so i hope it does i'm i i'm sure it will i i feel like based on ex machina and annihilation um alex garland is is a pretty fucking talented dude so we'll see do you guys want to get into spoiler theory kind of a yeah before we do um I did want to give a shout out to Zach Greener, uh, who plays the security guard, who I recognize so him from good. Fight Club, and also he's in a couple seasons of Twenty Four, which nice. is actually how I recognized him. But he's never really done much. I mean, he was in Fight Club as kind of a big character. He's in uh, The Good Wife, oh, yeah. Deadwood, um, but he is so good, especially in Episode Three. He really gets like a moment to shine uh, along with um, the lead, and I think that he is great. I really love him. Yeah, that that uh that character is so funny because uh, it really feels like that's just the type of guy that that would be. It doesn't. It's one of those guys that's like it doesn't feel like an actor. It's just like oh yeah, he, he would totally be this fucking kind of menacing security guy for a mega tech company oh also uh steven henderson who uh you probably recognize as the uh the youth um like drama teacher and ladybird that's who's right. a member yeah, of yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i love that he is some incredible comic relief to the show whenever it gets very very high concept but i really want to talk about like why this show works in comparison to another show that's similar in the skeleton of it in Westworld. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, Westworld just like it doesn't work for me because it focuses on the things that aren't real and tries to make you feel emotion in those things. Where what this show is doing is smart in which it's I feel like we will get into more of the devs and into the nitty-gritty of it all but they're doing the groundwork in these first few episodes to actually make you feel something about the characters itself yeah another another interesting move that they've made is uh they are almost in a way removing a lot of suspense that could be there and it's somehow working because a lot of the time we know more than we need to in a lot of scenes like they they could hide certain information from us and make you know heighten a scene, but the point of the scene is not to have us on our toes. I guess it's more of a long con uh, thing. And every episode of this was written by Garland, so that does make sense that he's not trying to 
uh, you know, he's not trying to do wind sprints for eight episodes. He's trying to run a marathon here. Um, it's just, it's something that I thought about a lot when watching it because, uh, I, I don't know. I was almost going back and forth in my mind. Like, would it be better if we, <laughs> if we didn't know more than, than the characters do? Because that is a type of suspense. I mean, that's dramatic irony uh, whenever we are aware. But sometimes the character and us know something in the show. And we're still just watching the scene unfold anyway. And that's what I think kind of roots the show in some discernible reality, I guess. Because we get to uh, imagine what we think will play out. Uh, and then it does in obviously different types of ways. Like there's still twists and turns all over the fucking place. Once we get into spoilers, we'll talk about those. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, I think I have a thought on that, but it's pretty spoilery. So if you haven't seen devs, uh, check it out on Hulu. If you're self-isolating, you have plenty of time, throw it on. You don't have anything better to do. Watch the show and then come back. I will say, um, I will say it is not a show for everyone, and if you're not into it, I completely understand yeah. because it yeah, is it does very, get weird. It's a lot of, I I mean, it does do, I I appreciate it for this, but it does do a lot of tech mumbo jumbo. But that isn't the point of the show at all. Is the tech talk that they do? Um, but yeah, I can yeah. still understand if it's if it's too moody for some people. Right, right. I mean. Yeah. So spoilers now. The the thing the thing I wanted to say is like to your point about the the sort of uh warped reality of the show and, and how um it is viewed from the audience perspective, from the viewer's perspective, whereas from the character's perspective is the whole idea of this company being able to predict actions and predict uh, the movement and the, the, the life of the people that we're seeing. So uh, it becomes this dance where you don't know if, if you feel like our characters are certain steps ahead of the, the, the antagonists, we don't know if that's part of their plan or if we're seeing something that's meant to fool us. So the show is kind of like doing a little bit of a tiptoe or a tightrope act that may hurt it if it doesn't do it quite right, where it's setting up this world where this company has the technology to basically see the past and the future, but then you have this other character who's trying to circumvent that and outsmart them i don't see i don't know how that's going to work uh it's going to be interesting to see like how they manage that so do you think that this show is going to go into the espionage part of it the plot because i don't i i almost feel like that is a red herring the whole russian u.s espionage and their relations with each other. Like, I think that that is a red herring that's supposed to throw us off from what devs themselves are doing. No, I agree with that. Um, Alice Garland has never 
shown an interest in like domestic affairs or international yeah. affairs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's into the heady shit. Um, it's just, it's a way to, f- I'm not saying it in a bad way, but it, it fills time. Like you said, it's a red herring. It's, it's an added wrinkle that makes things harder for our main character. It's a hurdle for her because she all, now she has to deal with this whole fucking plot line. Um, and then she uses it to her advantage, obviously, uh, in dealing with the security guard, you know, the Kenton telling him that she thinks that the Russians, you know, did this or whatever. Um, what did you guys think about that idea of her pulling off that act with the help of her friend? That's kind of what I'm getting at here is the the fact that they're like, we're supposed to think that they're outsmarting this tech CEO that has the power to predict what's happening or what's going to happen or see the past. Like, I don't see that working quite like we're supposed to think it is. I I'm interested to see kind of how they find the wrinkle in that. It is, it was a good scene. It was like a fun little ruse that they played, you know, with her threatening to, to jump off the, the ledge. But I mean, come on, if these guys have the tech that they have, Maybe we're just meant to think that, like, just because you have good tech doesn't mean that you're smart and you know how to use it, you know? And that was kind of the point of them showing the the Marilyn Monroe sex uh, <laughs> peeping, peeping bit. Um, so maybe they're trying to set up, like, yeah, they have this powerful tech, but they're not going to be able to use it in a way that is actually uh, going to help them in any meaningful way. Well, I think that the central thing that this show is trying to come down to is the difference between predictive behavior, like how you can predict a computer's pattern or predict a certain line of code if there is a pattern that exists in that code, versus human behavior and the universe, which is inherently random and chaotic. And I think that that's the show. I think that's going to be the central thing that the show is coming down to of these two paths going against each other is everything that we know like newton's laws of chaos and uh these kind of things that we've known in the world to exist are they actually chaotic or is determinism the like are we all just determined to go down the path that we are on i think that that's kind of the genius of the show right now as it's setting itself up is really exploring that idea and those themes of what is fate what is free will you know like you said this those are themes that westworld explored as well but keeping this such a more smaller and contained story i think it's going to be a lot more capable of really exploring those themes in a in a much more impactful way i i'm pretty excited to see how they do it yeah and as far as the the technological aspect goes they're they've been uh, vague enough about what they're able to accomplish that it didn't bother me. Like, I don't see it as it, like a trump card over anything that, you know, our main characters may do to fight it because they're essentially getting very blurry visuals and choppy audio of the past. And they're, you know, they're supposed to not be using it. You know, like Alison Pill said, one of the main rules is don't look into the future. Um, but even if they do, what you know they're getting uh almost like a google deep dream technology version of reality 
So it's it's not as if they can just look straight into the future and see everything that she thinks about doing. They have no access to thoughts. They have they're clearly working in that realm, and that may be something that's introduced later. But as far as we know, uh, they don't have the win locked up. I don't think that these main characters are inherently doomed, but knowing Garland's filmmaking past, they certainly could be doomed. You know, he he's not oh, he won't yeah. shy away from a very unsettling ending. Of course. And this is I mean, in- so it's going to end at episode eight. Do you guys think that there's a big plot point that's going to come in this story that hasn't been set up in these first three episodes? Yes, or that was like maybe you know like passingly set up, but has not been a point a focal point. I absolutely think so. Because I don't think that, I mean, eight episodes isn't a lot. You know, we only have five more after this, but I don't think that there's really that much runway for solving the mystery of her boyfriend. Um, for those five episodes, I mean, maybe they could sort of do enough twists and turns to keep that going. Uh, but I feel like there has to be something else. The The boyfriend mystery can't be the only thing. I mean, I think so. I mean, whatever you think about... I mean, one one sidebar that I did want to say that I am really happy that the show didn't make because I thought, like, halfway through the first episode that this was going to be Alex Garland dipping back into AI again which he already did once with Ex Machina, and I'm very glad that this seems very different from that. Granted, um, if anybody's a robot, it's fucking Allison Pill's character. Uh, she is the most unhuman human that I've ever seen on television. Uh, but I do think that there's still a lot to explore. Episode 3 was more... That seemed more like a table-setting episode than anything else to me to like kind of put these characters back together we still don't know exactly what's going on i mean episode three ends with them realizing that it's vfx that they used in the camera footage that they showed but we don't know what else is on these cameras that will still be shown we i gotta don't know say because a- i mean his sergey sergey disappeared for 24 hours before he quote unquote killed himself yeah but we saw what happened to him we know he didn't disappear. He was fucking strangled. But but there is still footage of him walking away that would have been afterwards. Granted, I mean yeah, that could also that's be the effect, all fake. But... That's all fake. I gotta say the 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 big ask uh, this week is: uh, Are we sure that a tech company with this amount of resources is gonna use the copy and paste feature in After Effects? to yeah. uh, put a little flame in their uh, little video? That, that is quite the ask. I will say <laughs> that much. Um, one, another ask that I, I wonder if it will become a plot point um, is the fact that I think Kenton could find out, he could figure out very easily that um, the main character's friend knew uh, like that everything, you know, that her episode was fake because she didn't. She walked fully past his window. She was on the other oh, side. Oh yeah, yeah. So if he thinks about that for more than two seconds, he'll he'll realize. Oh, the friend saw her walking past the window, like the friend, and didn't say anything. That means that she knew what she was doing. Yeah. 
I think that that will definitely come back, especially because I I feel like it's purposeful the way that the Alex Garland is a very purposeful director, and the fact that he showed where she was outside in relation to his office on the other side of her. Therefore, she would have had to pass his her line of vision. Exactly. That's all very purposeful. So I feel yeah, like that I'm will come back. I'm almost hoping that Kenton will, you know, figure it out because it seems pretty free and clear. But truly, I think the biggest ask of the show is the pilot. And if you get past the pilot and all, just all of the wooden dialogue in it of like, uh, if this code is real, then it changes literally everything. Like all those lines. <laughs> If you can get past that and you are enamored by the visuals in the concept of the show, you're going to like this show because that's what it's about. And truly, more than anything, you got to love the sound design. I think yes. it, it's, I, I don't know, sometimes I hammer this home too much, I feel like, but it can make or break a movie or a show for me. Mm-hmm. And it is making this show for me. It is yep. so expertly deployed at the right moments uh, to create horror or whatever emotion he wants to. It's it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's so horror, Yeah, it's both horror and wonder at the same time. I mean, think about the first time that that synth boomed in as soon as you walk into the dev's office, which is one of the most visually stunning thing. It gets my honestly visually stunning stamp of approval. Because Whoa. as soon as they walk into the dev's office and there's the elevator carrying you into the this beautiful gold office via like electromagnetism or whatever is just one of the fucking coolest things i've seen on television in a long time and fucking christ on the cross my god yeah yeah and joan of arc (laughs) joan of arc being burned at the stake yeah and then uh marilyn monroe Doing some hot sex on on a man. Yo, See, how do I get how do I get my hands on that one? <laughs> Arthur Miller. That scene. Oh, Arthur Miller. Yeah, that's right. That scene in between the like the millennial and the older developers. That was so much better than the scene where we met them, which I fucking hated because it was literally yeah. like it was like intro to film writing, where like it was just like, well, hmm. He's old and she's young. What would they talk about? Oh, they'd probably talk about how he's old and she's young. You know, it was like, okay, <laughs> come on, bro. But then they finally had a moment where, like, it seemed like they were both kind of on the same page of, like, yeah, we, we should, I want to watch this, this sex. <laughs> like, that's very funny. It's Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, I mean, she's Gosh. Um, Gosh. Her titties. Um, anyway. Let's, let's talk about the apocalypse. Uh, yeah. Please. So. So that's devs um, coming back from spoilers. Thanks for skipping it if you did. Um, And now we're going to get to our final segment. We're going to count down our top five favorite apocalypse movies. Because, boys, this might be it. We had a long run. Civilization. Well, I mean... You know, now that I think about it, there's been a lot of pandemics. There's been a, there's been world wars. There's been terrorism, and we've are bounced you reaching back. enlightenment? You know, are you reaching back. enlightenment by the end of this podcast that now you're not going to worry anymore? Are you going to hold off building of the bunker? We'll see about that. Construction is still <laughs> underway. Um, it's you all can't about- ever be too cautious. You just you get back to recording the pod. You're like, you know, maybe we're going to be all right. Um, so, I was a little bit stringent, 
or with the definition of uh, apocalypse, I went like a pre or you know like pre apocalypse, during apocalypse, and post apocalyptic movies, um, just to include yeah. some color on my list, to include some interesting of end of days. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start with my number five, and then we'll do our normal round robin deal. Um, my number yeah. five is Snowpiercer. So that's Ooh, my number okay. six. Like, it was hard to leave it off the list, but go off. So it's a Bong Joon-ho. It is starring uh, Chris Evans, our man. It is uh, It's a very, very good, effective, kind of simple movie. The world, like what would lead you to conceive the world is what's complicated, but the story itself is extremely simple and confined to this one train for the entirety of it. Um, and it, it isn't very interesting, you know, very, very uh, on the nose dystopian world that just takes place in this train front to back. Uh, but it's just fun to watch. It's visually incredible. It's fucking Bong Joon-ho. Um, it, like I never don't want to put it on. I've watched it three times now. Uh, just, and the, you know, the second two times weren't for any occasion. I didn't really rewatch it just for this epidemic. It's just fun to put on. It's a good movie. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I watched it recently and it fucking holds up. It's such a good rewatchable, like every scene just has momentum to it. It's, it's a straight line of a movie just left to right. And it just, Mm -hmm. it carries you through it. So, so good. It's, so, it's deeply, deeply entertaining. I mean, it wears its metaphor right on its sleeve, but I don't think that does anything to diminish the movie itself. I do really, really love this movie. It also has my favorite Chris Evans line reading of all time, which is, I know what humans taste like. I know I know babies taste the best. <laughs> Which every time I hear Captain America read that line, I just I just get so happy inside. I gotta I gotta happen. say I love Chris Evans. I love Chris Evans in this movie, but that line makes me feel like somebody else could have done that role better. Um so, but yeah. he's still great at it. <laughs> but um, I still think he does a like good if you, role. If you put, like, Leonardo DiCaprio in that role, like, holy shit, it would just land so much better. I'm not saying I have a better bad. one for you. I still you. love the movie. I have a better one for you, because I do think that you need a physicality to be in that role. If you put Brad Pitt in that role, it might be better. I don't think Leo could pull off the physicality of that role. I think... Hold on... I think I, I think it's got to be a person of color, if we want to drive home the entire point of the movie. It can't be like the okay. man alive, starting at the back of the train. Right. You know what Daniel I mean? Daniel Alleyu. Um, I don't know. Like, part of me wants to just kind of put Lakeith in every single role on Earth. Um, okay, that's fair. Just you know, just for fun. Just to see what he can do. Um, Lil Rel Howery. <laughs> no, I'm just you, kidding. No, you know who would be perfect? Um, uh, Denzel's son, John David Washington. Oh, John David Washington? <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, he Whoa. was in Black Klansman. He's going to be in Tenet this year. 
if this movie had come out 20 years ago, Denzel would have done so, so good doing I think, movie. I mean, I think Daniel Kaluuya could have been incredible in this movie. Yeah. Because like, um, he has the physicality that I'm talking about. So, uh, Ernie, what's And great at wearing Mishnah's face. <laughs> what's your number five? So, my number five is It Comes at Night, the Trey Edward Schultz movie. Whoa, about hell a, yeah. Sort of, sort of a pandemic of sorts, sort of like a zombie thing of sorts. It, it, it's, it's a nondescript viral outbreak that just puts people into isolation. It puts people, it forces people to, to completely fend for themselves, shut the world off, and just look out after each other and their loved ones. And it's a story about a family that encounters another family and sort of the fear that sets in um, when they're sort of forced to be together and, and forced to trust each other and sort of the mistrust that comes from a situation like that. So it's a very small grounded movie, but it's very, very tense. It might be one of the most tense movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, it just, he, he has a really good way of ramping up the anxiety uh to a point that is probably too much for a lot of people but in this movie it just it just felt right like if you go into this movie expecting something harrowing expecting something truly unsettling and and just so fucking intense it's pretty outstanding it comes at night so I, I love that choice. I really love that movie. I actually haven't revisited it since seeing it in the theater because in the theater, it really did affect me. And just kind of knowing that what comes at night is fear. It's not some kind of big monster or anything like that. Um, I really, really love this movie uh, whenever I saw it. I need to give it another look. But that's a great choice for this because it's a very unique kind of post-apocalyptic world that we don't exactly know what it is that's going on but that's not really the point what this well, also it's, it's all about great. yeah exactly it, it's all about the lengths that you would go god damn it <laughs> <laughs> because you took trey so early in your draft um and i haven't seen either of his major re- i guess uh there are more than two because there's krisha as well not that it was as major but uh, yeah, you cert- you took him a lot higher than I expected, though I haven't seen his movies, so you must fucking love his movies, you know? Yeah. It's not just that, it's also that I have faith that, you know, if movies are a thing in the future, he's gonna <laughs> make him be making really good ones. Um, also, this movie in particular, it's just all about, like, the lengths that you'll go to protect yourself and your family. Like, that's really what it's all about is like when tested, when pushed, what will you do to save your people? That's what it is. And, and another viable, like, I don't think it's going to end up on any of our lists, but A Quiet Place is a similar deal. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one's, that one's probably like my number six or seven. Yeah. It's, it's like, not right. right it's definitely top 10. It's definitely top 10. Yeah. It's a good movie. Uh, so, so Hunter, go ahead. You're number five. My number five is a movie that I just saw for the first time about a week or two ago, and that is Steven Soderbergh's Contagion. 
Um, does anybody else have it on there? Uh, I do not. I just watched it for the first time last night. Uh, so y- I want you to talk about it first. Okay. Um, so I had never seen this movie, and I don't know if part of it is how amazing this movie is with the coronavirus outbreak that's happening now that makes it resonate so much more. But the way that Steven Soderbergh lingers on a pole that somebody touches or just lingers on somebody just grabbing somebody else's arm, really emphasizing that just this little interaction can be all that it takes to spread this massively deadly disease. Um, I think is just absolutely genius. The cast of this movie, let me just read off some of the names in this cast. Gwyneth Paltrow, Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, Jude Law. Uh, There's so many more people here. I hate the way that IMDb has this laid out because it has it laid out in terms of screen time. Marion Cotillard, who I think is not very good in this movie. Kate (laughs) Winslet. Like, there's Elliot Gould, our king Elliot Gould, our comedy king from 10 years ago, Dimitri Martin is in this movie. <laughs> okay, isn't it hard not to laugh whenever he pops up in his little hazmat? Oh, I absolutely did, because they almost use him as a comedy relief character, because this movie was made in 2011 when Dimitri Martin was still relevant. Um, but they have him in there, and they're like asking, like, how was Thanksgiving? He's just like, mine was great, thanks for asking. <laughs> like it's, it's really funny seeing him there as the lab tech. Um, I think that this movie is really, really good. It does have some some like major holes in the plot itself, but it is very fun, which is not something that we will say for a lot of these movies that are on our list. Mm. Um, I, I barely remember this movie. I, I don't have much of a memory of it, and to be honest with you, I'm already stressed out about the world right now and i don't, <laughs> I don't need to see this movie right now in, movie. <laughs> instead i watched the talented mr ripley which stars <laughs> the exact same cast in france having a romp yeah, or in, sorry in italy, total, in italy it's a total reunion of matt damon blake lively and or matt damon gwyneth paltrow and jude law <laughs> yeah um I, I didn't love the movie. I was kind of disappointed. Uh, I'd say 90% because of the script, because it is a Soderbergh and he is a fucking killer director there. He made so many choices that I just absolutely loved. Um, particularly the v- v- blunt force way that he depicts death and dead bodies. It's just mm. like right out the gate. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Like he is not shying away from showing you what happens when someone dies from this virus. Um, so there are a lot of great choices there, but the script just did not land for me. And I was trying to figure out why, because I wanted to love the movie and I did kind of like it, but uh, I think it's because it's the same general uh, premise, not premise, but it's the same sort of script as like Zodiac in a way where it, it's mostly about a really like long and tedious process that happens in the real world and is done by a ton of characters over a long period of time. Um, but it's just, for me, it was not written nearly as cleanly as a movie like Zodiac was. Um, in particular, the uh, emotional intelligence of Zodiac is in the subtext of the conversations that people have. And I think when this movie tries to wear that emotional, you know, 
weight on its sleeve, I think it really fails. Um, Matt Damon is a really great actor, but when we are seeing like him and his daughter have little tiffs, and then on the TV, we hear that like 3 million people have died. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't give a shit about the three. When did 3 million people die? Oh, <laughs> Jesus. I, so a couple of things. Do you, have you like had any experience with any other Scott Z. Burns movies? He did, of course, The Laundromat and The Report last year, but he's also done uh, The Informant, Born Ultimatum. Um, I, I put on the informant for my family once, and they made me turn it off after a half hour. <laughs> okay, so uh, not big on that. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, so I um, I do get that. I I think that with my list, I'm not picking my top five favorite movies that involve an apocalypse. I wanted to give some representation to different types of apocalypses that we see. And I think that this movie really resonated with me when I did see it, because I think that, uh, of course, um, this isn't the same thing. Uh, like, COVID-19 isn't actively killing every person who comes in contact with it yet. Um, but I think that this was kind of the closest depiction of that onto film. And that's why I really love the way that Soderbergh shot yeah. it. And also, I love, I love Matt Damon as supporting role. And this is kind of like the best use of Matt Damon. I'm not as big on Matt Damon as leading man. I think that he is always better in ensemble. And this movie wow. is a complete and total ensemble. And um, that's nothing against Matt Damon. I really like Matt Damon. But I think that I would rather see him in a movie where he is part of like a two or three piece. That's like if you said more. to a friend, like, no, no, it's nothing bad about you. It's just like, I hate it when you're my best friend. <laughs> I have said that to you so many times, Drew. I know, and, and I never mean it. Get it? Um, <laughs> I like I love Matt Damon in the movie, but I think he was relegated to a role that was just ultimately there's there are too many plot lines in this movie. Should have been a miniseries, is what bothered me. There, this there yeah. was so much more to explore because we have. Uh, I, I wrote down all of the major storylines. So we have Damon and his daughter and Paltrow, all their fucking drama. Uh, Fishburne and Winslet working together. Fishburne and Jennifer L. working together. Fishburne and his wife and dealing with that little scandal. Um, Cotillard getting kidnapped and then like catching Stockholm Syndrome and teaching English to a Chinese village. (laughs) (laughs) I think that Marion Cotillard is actively bad in this movie. And I like Marion Cotillard. I think her plot line is awful. That whole yeah. storyline just sucks shit. It I could not tell you the message of it. Like, it, it's it's really convoluted. Jude Law just being the most sniveling little prick of all time. I so I kind of Jude Law. In this movie. <laughs> I love I love Breitbart Jude Law in this movie. Yeah, it's so <laughs> Alex Jones. He's running. He's running an Alex Jones esque podcast yeah. web series. <laughs> I love it. And then Jennifer L. And at the end of the movie, we find out her fucking dad is like dying, just out of fucking nowhere. And then, yeah. uh, and then we have all these smaller performances. Like you listed the cast, it's really amazing who they got. But literally, any older actor could have played the Cranston role. He said nothing 
of consequence. Yeah, Brian but, Cranston's in this movie. Yeah, for no reason. That that role was just nothing. Like, it was a meaningless role. So it, it kind of bugged me in that way where, like, we're meeting so many different people and not all of them matter. Do you – I don't want to go on too long about this movie because we still have four movies for each of us left. But do you think that this movie shows the problem with the – if you replace them by better actor X, this movie would be better? Like, that people are just like, oh, this movie would be better if you put, like, Leo in this supporting role. Is this, like – was it distracting to you to have a A or, like, a B-plus-less actor It, it wasn't that it distracted to me, it was a waste of resources because they there was the ability, even in two minutes, a good writer can give someone a good two-minute role if it's someone that good. And I think it was a failure on the screenwriter's part. I just wasn't a fan okay. of the script. Even I, though I like how tight this movie is. Like, it's an hour 45, and it, it does have good pace to it. So I don't know if I'm aware of this. It, it does have, like, multiple endings where at a certain point you're like, all right, now is it over? <laughs> Like, now is it, oh, yeah, that plotline has to end now. Oh, yeah, Cotillard has to take the one vaccination that she got and, like, go back to China and give it to who? She has one. Like, what's her... <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. That's, that's you a know, fair Christmas. You know, what this, you know what this sounds like? This sounds like those um, rom-com movies, like, He's Not That Into You. Or a, uh, Valentine's a, Day. So it's like a sprawling, like, celebrity cast that doesn't really amount to much. You know, so I, I will. That last week, he's just not that into you. Oh my God, is that movie bad? Holy shit. <laughs> Ernest, I will it's, say, actually, after watching Contagion, it put me more at ease with this virus because I'm like, well, it's not that bad. Like, it's not like fucking, like, People aren't immediately foaming at the mouth yeah, two days yeah. after they get coronavirus. Yeah, so right. this, this movie actually might help your put you at ease, Ernest. No, Ernest, do not watch, and definitely don't show <laughs> Lee this movie. No, don't show Lee this movie. Um. So yeah, Contagion's your number five. So we're on to my number four, which is in fact T two, Terminator two. Okay. Technically, right. an end of the world movie, yeah. It's apocalyptic. Yeah. The Terminator has been sent back in time. Um, I mean, this, you know, this is Terminator 2, so we don't need to be like, the guy's like, hey, actually, you should probably check it out. It's kind of underrated. You know, like, it's, it's T2. It's James Cameron, like, Pete Cameron. It's just an action movie that fucking rips. It's very straightforward. It's very high-concept sci-fi. Um... But it manages to ground itself and contain a surprising amount of silence in it, much like a movie like Alien does. Um, it's just, it's fucking incredible. It's an awesome movie. Um, it, it almost feels silly to put it at just four because it's fucking Terminator 2. It's a fucking killer film. Uh, holds up to rewatch no matter when you watch it. Hell yes. Number four, T2. Ernie. Man, I really want to yeah. rewatch this movie. I tried to put it on a little while ago and I fell asleep. And I was really disappointed in myself. So I'm going to have to rewatch it. I, I, I own the digital copy now, so I could put it on at any time. Uh, just oh, you don't own that sweet, that sweet box Blu-ray collection of the original no. Terminator movies? Or, but uh, hey, oh, okay. uh, self-quarantine, it's time to watch movies. So probably put that one on. Uh, my number four is... <laughs> I can't believe this. It, my number four is Roland Einre 
Amrik's Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> Yo, that's on my honorable mentions. <laughs> I, I'm going it is, full it is, goofy mode. It is FX's... <laughs> FXM's The Day After Tomorrow, because that movie is on constantly. Yeah, Cable Legend. It's yeah. really... There's so many... There's Tom Cruise just running all over the place with little uh, Dakota Fanning. No, no, no. That, that's the, no, that's, that's War, War of the Worlds. Worlds. Well, what the Day fuck tomorrow. are you talking about then? War of the Worlds uh, is definitely in my top ten. Not top It's five. also on my I, honorable mention. I love World <laughs> of the Oh, Worlds. God. The Day After Tomorrow? <laughs> so, yeah. This movie is not good, but I love it so much because it just goes full off the walls loony with how it depicts the end of the world. Like, this is the movie that just, when people, when people think about like disaster movies, it's this, it's like giant fucking tsunami waves and blizzards coming in. Uh, you, there's a, a shot in this movie where it's like Jake Gyllenhaal running away from ice and snow <laughs> as it's coming to get him and he shuts the door and now he's safe. Like this movie, it's insane. It's stupid. It's, it doesn't make any sense, but it's so good without being actually good. It's so fun. You got Dennis Quaid. You got oh, like, I love Dennis Quaid. Yeah. You yeah. got like all these that guy's, you know, filling out the 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 tapestry of the the response team and the the people affected. But at the end of the day, it's just the story about these people in New York City just trying to survive as like it literally just freezes over. I I haven't revisited in a while. It probably doesn't hold up at all. I don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but. For the purposes of this podcast, it's my number four. So, Ernest, I will say, to your defense, um, I do have Hulu with Live TV. Um, Hulu now is Live Sports. Uh, all those sports are not on anymore, so I don't know why I'm still posting that. <laughs> but, um, this movie is still plays on FX all the time, and I actually put it on the other day because it was on, and... By the way, it doesn't hold up at all, but I still watched a good 30 minutes of this movie because it's just like, this is the movie that started the disaster movie craze that we're still having to this day, all the 2012 and pretty much everything that John Cusack has been doing for the last 10 years is because of this movie. Um, and it is like the animation's bad, the plot's pretty bad, but it's like, the ultimate version of a five or a six out of ten that transcends and is just it is deeply watchable for how corny it oh, is. Ernie, your number one is gonna be Geostorm, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sharknado. <laughs> um and I think the, the other thing is like this is peak um Emmerich, Roland Emmerich. Like this oh, dude yeah. makes just just trash. Yeah, like just I mean, trash, trash, trash. But this is the one that feels well. Okay, no, I I take that back. I think maybe Independence he made Day. Independence Day, yeah, yeah. exactly. Which is also Indep- worse than people think if you rewatch it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, I'm sure. Okay. No, you guys are all wrong because he also made The Patriot, which I fucking I stand by that movie. I think yeah. The Patriot is an amazing movie. 
but he did make Independence Day. He also made 1998's Godzilla, which I have a lot of nostalgia for, even though I'm sure it is really awful. All right, Hunter, what's your number four? Um, so my number four is a little bit of a cheat, um, but okay. it is a cheat in that you have to have without one movie, you can't have the other, um, and that is 1978's Dawn of the Day, Dawn of the Dead, and 2004's Shaun of the Dead. Mm, that is that's a, cheat a fucking cheat. <laughs> it's a cheat. I don't care. Guess what? The world's ending. I might wake up dead tomorrow. I'm gonna fucking cheat on this list, okay? Um. Dawn of the Dead, I just rewatched earlier today. I haven't seen this movie probably since I was like nine or ten years old. Um, and at the time, I was like, well, this is corny as hell. And I like kind of laughed at it. And now kind of looking back at it, it is funny because Dawn of the Dead is almost like a satire of itself. Uh, which is why it's even more funny that they did a satire of it in 2004. Because in the same year, Zack Snyder decided to take his swing at a Dawn of the Dead reboot. Um, which is more serious for, I actually, full disclosure, I've never seen, uh, Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I've heard that it's actually pretty good, but have you guys ever seen Dawn of the Dead? The original nope. one? Nope. Okay. Uh, so it is really iconic. I, most of the movie takes place in a mall. It's this group of, um, people, I, I will, uh, I've seen Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. I actually own Night of the Living Dead on a Criterion, but Dawn of the Dead is kind of after the events take place. It's this group of various people based out of Philly that are trying to just get the fuck out of town, and they hide out in this mall, which is where the majority of the movie takes place. Um, and this movie established so much of what the lore of zombies were that uh, you have to either shoot them in the head or chop the head off from the rest of their body in order to kill them. Um, all it takes is a scratch or a bite and you will turn into a zombie even if you aren't killed by them. That they eat out the guts from people. Like So many things that people just take for granted now in zombie movies are established by this movie and by Night of the Living Dead. Um, that sounds like a documentary of our world about five months from now. Yeah, it's it's going to happen now. But I, I had to also put Shaun of the Dead on here because I think that this movie I like Dawn of the Dead is really fun. It was fun to revisit, but Shaun of the Dead is one of the most rewatchable horror comedies ever made. It's my, my favorite thing that Edgar Wright has ever done. Um I think that this movie I, I put this on here because you can't have Shaun of the Dead without Dawn of the Dead, but this movie it's so so funny and extremely rewatchable because it's just about a dude getting over a breakup and just trying to get drunk and then waking up with a hangover to the end of the world happening and hiding out with the bar with his friend and now ex-girlfriend like this movie is just so incredible the, of course the cast is great it's the first time that Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg collab together in this beautiful way and I think Shaun of the Dead is an absolutely perfect movie. In you can movie. argue that um, Edgar Wright really is truly at his best when he, he when Simon Pegg is writing for him, not just starring. Simon Pegg is a good script writer. 
Well, um, yeah, I mean, they wrote the three biggest aside. I mean, I guess Baby Driver is a bigger success, but between this Hot Fuzz and uh, World's End, um, like, yeah, it's a great movie. It was my number six. It's just you cheated. Yeah. Um, also, why not okay. just put World's End in there too while you're at it? Yeah, it's like I, oh, my my favorite album of the decade is Tame Impala and also the Beatles because you can't have Impala <laughs> without the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't care. I stand by my cheat, and I will be proven right in the end because I have six movies instead of five. All right, Drew. I think we're at three. Yes, and we will have probably have to wait because it's mine is Mad Max Fury Road. Oh yeah, just a tad. We'll have just to wait, tad. but not for very long. Okay, okay. I'm still I'm still in Looney Tunes land over here with my number <laughs> three. I am Legend. Oh. <laughs> Will legendary, Smith, legendary, like in middle school, you think it's a genius, you know? Yeah. It's that like, kind of. So is number one iRobot at this point? <laughs> like, what are we going for? Like, absolute cinematic masterpiece for thirteen-year-old Ernest. Like, just chef's kiss, grandiose. Uh, unlike anything I had ever seen when I first saw this, I was like, oh my god. Movies are fucking amazing. This, this is one of those like I came home and and I said it changed my life type of movies. Uh, oh, yeah. Again, haven't rewatched it recently. Uh, probably won't. But I I remember a lot of parts very uh, attunely. Like like the the moment where spoilers for I Am Legend, a fifteen year old movie. But the moment where he fucking has to kill his dog, like that is truly emotional and intense and affecting and i mean my guy willard he carries this thing obviously there's a couple other side characters uh but for the most part this is a one-man show and he really 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 knocks it out of the park and and the movie obviously has massive flaws especially towards the end um but when it's just will on his own just kind of trying to get by and 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 live uh there's there's a lot of really good moments of humor and humanity uh with the mannequin falling in love with the mannequin and uh just you just love to see will like you just love to see him and uh it gets pretty intense it gets pretty action heavy and and you know horror-esque and 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 thrilling and suspenseful um I, I have very fond memories of I Am Legend, and, and I think it deserves my, my number three spot on this uh, I will say, list. I will say, I do think that this is like a top five showcase of Will Smith's acting abilities, because this, like, pretty much the entire movie is just him and his dog. Yeah. So he really, like, owns the screen tech that he is in, which is pretty much all of it. Heavy vibes of the pilot of Last Man on Earth. Yes, yeah. yes, except that that show goes full comedy. But yeah, of course. Essentially but it's like, it's, the same broad concept. Yeah, well, I Am Legend does take time to explore the premise of, like, well, what what interesting stuff could you do if you were totally alone, you know? Like, there there are those moments in the movie, and I think that adds a lot to it, because it could be very dour if it didn't do that. Yeah. All right, so, Hunter, I think we're at your number three. All right, so my number three is After Earth. Um, it's the other no. Will Smith. No. Uh, <laughs> but... 
no. Uh, my number three is Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men. Oh, we're going to have to um, wait. Yeah, wait. Okay. All right. Okay. My number two is Wally. No way. Hell yeah. It's on my honorable mentions. Of course. Top tier Pixar movie. So ahead of its time. It came out over a decade ago and it's about climate change. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Uh, and, and it's I'm a kid's that. movie. Yeah, and it's a funny and touching movie. Visually, it is uh, fucking astounding. Like, it is on in another tier of animation. Um, it, yeah, there, it's, it's Wally. I've already talked about it on this pod before during our Pixar app. This movie, when I saw it, pr- at probably age 13, changed how I thought about movies. It, it was my I Am Legend. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! I think that's an insult to the creators of Wally. <laughs> Don't let them hear this. It's just it might be it might still be my second favorite Pixar behind Ratatouille. Um, it's it's just an, a really really uh, front to back, uh, creative and thought provoking film, and it's for kids. It's you know what else can you say? Ernie, what's your number two? My I know you are. Fury Road, baby. Uh, Hunter, did you put this one on your list? Uh, yes, it is also my number two, so we can go ahead and talk about it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just went off on this one when we did Best of the Decade. It was my number one. Um, I, I, gotta, I gotta put it on the list. I mean, I thought about giving the slot to something else, um, you know, like The Matrix or A Quiet Place or something like that, but this is a fucking miracle of a movie. And it really shows us what our world is going to be looking like around, you know, 12 months from now or so. Uh, when yeah, I was going to say, sources. I was going to give us 18, but yeah, I 18 guess 18 or so. Yeah, it, it just yeah. it shows us a really good depiction of what uh, life is going to be like on this earth when we're all savages uh, just trying to uh, get water and guzzoline and uh fight the the fascist powers uh of um the patriarchy and just holding on for dear life you know there's so many layers to this movie but above all else it is a action-packed non-stop thrill ride um it's a prequel to wally isn't it yeah yeah (laughs) very much so uh it's the last effort before everybody bails out I mean, maybe it maybe it's contemporary to Wally. You know, Wally's happening in like a very crowded, uh, sort of urban city setting, and this is like out in the middle of nowhere. So you know, you you could think that there are humans still on Earth in the Wally world. They're just like raging in you know huge monster war cars. <laughs> That's a thought, yeah. or maybe just the the. People in the war cars of Mad Max figured out how to make spacecrafts. Boom. Or they just got left behind. What do you think those things run on that all those fat people are in? Uh, they run on gasoline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this movie is, it's its a masterpiece. Like you've said, it is a miracle that happens. This is a movie that, if there is a next generation to watch this movie, this will be one of the movies that ages the best from our generation because it is all practical effects and 
it's all real people that are out there doing the stunts that are being shown on these incredible uh, rides that are just totally built up and just from the imagination of George Miller. And yeah. I, I mean, of course, Charlie Theron and um, Charlie Theron and Tom Hardy are and Nicholas Holt are great, but the characters really take a total sidestep to the story itself here in this movie. Yeah, it's it's fucking phenomenal. It's uh, it's it Mad Max Fury Road. It's a fucking classic at this point. Um, let's get to number one, shall we? Do we all have the same number one? No, no, nope. you already mentioned it. It's uh, cool. it, so Drew and I have the same number one. Yeah, Children of Men. All right, let's go ahead and talk about it. You guys are wrong, but um, let's go ahead Wait, and talk about it. What the fuck is your number one? Don't worry about it. God, no, no. You say your number one it's first. Day after it is Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> Children of Men, uh, my God, what a masterpiece uh, on every level. Just thematically uh, acting, directing, writing. Just this is what movies are all about. And when we're all. Uh, in the depths of the pandemic, quarantine to hell, and we're just trying to look for some sort of artistic uh, scratch in our quarantined uh, life. This is what you're going to be wanting. This is the type of movie that is going to make you think, wow, humans, they were capable of so much, such greatness. Why, Why did we have to throw all that away? At least Alfonso Cuaron was able to give us this just absolutely stunning work of art. It's also, um, someone on Letterboxd coined the term, I think I may have said it on the pod before, but my favorite type of sci-fi, soft sci-fi. Yeah. It is science fiction. It is set in the future. It is set in an alternate reality. But this is a story about human beings. Um, and the the incredible world building is always uh it's it's not even second fiddle because Quaron's camera uh so beautifully drifts across every single landscape that he creates so you get such a full picture of this reality but it's never what the movie's about and it is so hard to do that um and that is why uh noted final pick of the director's draft Alfonso Cuaron yeah. <laughs> made uh, his best movie here, um, I think, and also one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire oh, life. Oh, yeah, hands down. Yeah. I think this might actually be, like, the best movie of the 21st century so far, uh, or maybe the 21st century ever if there's never any more movies made. <laughs> so it could just take the cake. So uh, let's let Hunter talk about why his number one is Elysium. Um, my number one is Alita Battle Angel. Uh, is it Alita Battle Angel. Is it um, <laughs> let's play the game where you guys guess what mine is. Because, yeah. uh, um, no, I will say, like, I think Children of Men I had at number three. I feel like it probably could be number two. In hindsight, I would probably move it to number two over Mad Max because I think this is a more complete movie. This movie is an absolute masterpiece. It it's right there. 
homage to it than Mad Max does. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Uh, it's not it's not as like technically stunning as Mad Max is, but I think that it does have more emotional resonance. This movie isn't really about the technical aspects of it as much, although there is some real and I don't mean this term. Sometimes it's used as kind of a negative, but it doesn't have the um. This movie does have, excuse me, some of the athletic filmmaking that Coral is. I mean, the tracking shot of them going through the building is one of the most iconic yes. shots in modern. Also, film. the car. Yeah, the car scene yeah. is it's one of the best scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. It, yeah, I, I think about that scene like twice a day. I know. It's like, how do they do that? Yeah, it's, I, I, it's just like in Mad Max. Like, how do they do the crazy stunts on the motorcycles and shit? Or the guys like jumping from vehicle to vehicle. Same thing of like, how did they get this shot to work where the camera is swiveling around inside the car? And then you have, you know, you go from this intimate, fun, human little moment to this big action packed, like thrilling, violent mess. Uh, yeah. All in and, one I mean, thing. of course. And I mean, also, like, I feel like now. Clive Owen's performance has kind of become underrated in this movie, but he is him and Michael Caine in this movie are incredible. Like they do Strawberry so Club. much. <laughs> yeah. I I think that they are great. Um but I just wanna be I just wanna be quarantined with Michael Caine, man. I wanna be yeah. in his bunker. I wanna have him weed. read can we have Michael Caine like read me book? Can he be my audible in the post-apocalyptic world that we live in? Yeah, that's probably cool. All the time. Also, awesome. we should say Julianne Moore, just a yeah, really, Julianne really Moore's stunning the... performance. Juwetel Ejiofor. Yeah, 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 just a great cast. I mean, god damn this movie. I'm going to want to rewatch it now. It's just so good. It's so good. And it's. I think the reason why it rises above Mad Max for me is because it does have a much closer tie to our world. Uh, Mad Max is just so far gone from what we see here. And this is like much more closer to, to our reality. And, and just seeing that it just lands better. That, that final thread of hope that, that carries the story forward. It just has more meaning than a story that is just people that have completely lost all sense of what we thought civilization was trying to find some sort of meaning and some sort of purpose. Um, this is people that have thought that their purpose was gone, but maybe it wasn't, you know, it's still that so, thread, still that lingering tiny thread. So Ernest, I couldn't have transitioned better to my number one because you talked about movies that, uh, I mean, you even, Drew, you said soft sci-fi, and I think that my number one is a movie that is not science fiction at all. And I think that why this movie, I rewatched this movie, I finished it up minutes before we got on this call today uh, to do this podcast. Um, and it is my number one because I think that it has always been the closest to a view of the final hours of humanity that we will ever see on film and that is 1964's stanley kubrick's dr strangelove or how i learned to stop worrying about oh the okay yeah yeah um this movie is so 
perfect. Which it's like I feel like Stanley Kubrick we take for granted, which is insane because he has six, seven perfect movies. Like you can't say that about literally any other director in history. Um, but this movie, of course, I mean, people know Peter Sellers' performance is the most iconic thing from this movie. He in total has like seven minutes of screen time. Like it's insane what he does in just the tiny amount of screen time that he has as Dr. Strangelove. Um, he plays some other minor roles, but this movie is, it has some weird humor to it, like really dark humor. But I think that what makes this movie so real and what makes it resonant even in 2020 is that it's really a movie about toxic masculinity and about uh, power hungry individuals and the male desire for fighting at all costs and for war and kind of the joy that comes with war because yeah. then you like you serve a purpose and I, like i said i just rewatched this movie and i've seen this movie probably about three or four times now and it's creeping up my kubrick rankings for my all-time favorite kubrick movie like i really think that this movie is just absolutely just it's unfa it, it's unflappable like it's it's so our, so good our guy peter sellers chancy yeah. gardner himself in a triple <laughs> in a triple role yeah like nobody else could do that shit unreal three and too early man he was so so talented like i've never seen anything like that you know, you 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 see dual rules, uh, rules like fairly. Uh, <laughs> Tilda, Tilda, does she? Tilda do gives some love to Tilda. She has Norman. three roles technically in Suspiria. Oh yeah, yeah, because she does do the the Madame Suspiria, the old wrinkly bitch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so the ranking, the power rankings goes: Peter Sellers, Tilda Swinton, everyone else. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a great number one. Holy shit, yeah, I, I didn't even, uh, this kind of uh, flew over my head when I was making Well, I wanted to have, I mean, I tried to put some representations for all the different types of viewing yeah. of end times movies. Like, of course, I have, like, the zombie version and the environmental version with Mad Max and, of course, the viral version with Contagion and kind of Children of Men. But this is kind of... Prior to this coronavirus outbreak, the closest thing to an end times version that we would see in real life, which is nuclear warfare. Exactly. Um, yeah, the panic. This movie is. This movie also uh, created the Fallout franchise of video games. Is Peter Sellers' final two minutes of dialogue where he talks about how we'll specially select certain people to go underground into vaults for a hundred years, and then to reemerge on the wasteland. Is like literally making the Fallout video yeah. game. I mean, that's probably what's happening right now, man. With billionaires preparing for this pandemic, they're just like, "Yep, put me in that." With bunker, the elites man. of the We Bought a Mic podcast being earnest, uh, can we get alt? Can we get in there? Can we? Are we invited? They're they're gonna need podcasters in the new world. Yeah, every podcaster gets a bunker, and the, every podcaster <laughs> also gets to choose a hot GF of their choice. <laughs> I'm gonna oh go man! With uh, I'll go with Emma Stone. 
Oh no! Oh. What's gonna happen to Dave? <laughs> I don't know. Dave, you know, podcast. He just makes films like an idiot. Yeah, he's gonna get coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, what a Confirm. dumbass. Confirmed. All right. Well, let's uh, let's quickly shout out some some honorable mentions before we wrap up. Um, we already shouted out a Quiet Place, which was my just outside the top five War of the Worlds. Guys, take shelter. Everyone, anyone seen uh, Take oh, Shelter, the Jeff Nichols yeah. film with Michael Shannon, where he's like hey. freaking out about the end of the world and he uh, is just trying to get people under into his basement to save them oh, from the apocalypse. Yeah. Ernie, really, I really like um, the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought really that you were going to put Rise on your list, to be honest. Yeah, I, re- I really considered that, but the reason why I didn't is because rise is the only like one of the three that I'd put as like an apocalypse movie. Um, although Don actually Don, Don would probably be the one um, if I had to pick one, but yeah, I mean, those movies are incredible. They, I'd probably put them in my top 10 too as a unit. If I wanted to cheat, put all three of them in one slot. Yeah. But who would do that? Um, uh, We've already revealed that cheating is possible, so you could take out uh, Day After Tomorrow and put in the planet, the planet. So the I wanted to go. I wanted to go full loony with. I'm just gonna cheat, and my top ten, my top five is actually now a top twenty. What about what about uh, <laughs> this is the end? The would, that was the next choice. I love that movie. It is arguably the best uh, Rogan and Company movie. Behind Superbad, of course, but that's not, like, starring, starring him and his cronies. It's a good hangout movie, you know? Yes. What about Zombieland? Cameos in that movie are incredible. I love Zombieland. Um, You shouted out The Matrix earlier, which is a great sci-fi. That's a hard sci-fi futuristic apocalyptic movie. Um, I gave some love to Night of the Living Dead 28 Days Later, the original 28 Days Later. Yeah. Weeks later is also a really good movie, but um, really love those movies. Um, did want to show some love to a movie that is about the apocalypse, even though the apocalypse doesn't happen in it, and that is uh, the 80s movie War Games. Have you guys ever seen War Games? Yeah. Um, Broderick, I just actually, um, this is. Hold up. Stepfather hold up. of the podcast, my stepdad Bart. This is his favorite movie of all time. Um, <laughs> Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. He, I mean, it, this movie is, it's so much fun. Like, it is a pure comedy about how, like, two high school kids almost caused World War Three. <laughs> like, it is a great, great movie. Yeah, it's extremely simple. Uh, and I feel like it's short, too, from what I remember. It's, it's a breezy watch. Broderick, yeah, Broderick had charm, man. He had crazy charm in the 80s yeah all right um have um, you guys ever seen 12 monkeys or sunshine oh sunshine um, yeah sunshine. seeking a friend for the end of the world my mom loves that movie all right then what about water world <laughs> kevin water <Costner>. world yeah <laughs> nope uh, okay <laughs> does close encounters of the third kind count or is that more like alien? Well, I okay, so if I was gonna talk about uh a like, alien it's apocalyptic like a movie, it would yeah. probably be aliens. 
Aliens is more of an apocalypse movie than Close Encounters or... It is an awesome fucking movie. Yeah, no, no, no. I was meant to say that whenever you said T2 was to bring up yeah. Alien, because that's they, similar. Yeah, that could come up as well. Um, I haven't seen The Book of Eli. I've heard that it is actually genuinely, like, a pretty good movie, but do you guys know what the book is? No. Eli. I'm going to spoil it. The- oh, oh, yeah, it's him. No, the book that he is protecting, I guess. I guess the movie's about him protecting this book. He has the last copy of the Bible. Oh. <laughs> That's fucking <Sick>. stupid. <laughs> um, any love for World War Z? Or, uh... I've seen it. I'm, I'm looking, I'm Googling uh, Apocalypse movies now. Did you know the movie Nine? Uh, remember that? Ooh. Which, uh, you... Probably most well known for having Coheed and Cambria's Welcome Home yeah. trailer. Yeah, my favorite my favorite apocalypse movie is Rock Band One. <laughs> oh dude, Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas is a apocalypse mm, Damn. Yeah. One one sixth. <laughs> one sixth of the movie is an apocalypse movie. That's the big yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that that that's my number one actually is one sixth of Cloud Atlas. Oh shit! I even think about putting. Have you guys ever seen Escape from New York? No. Okay. Or so Escape from L.A. I'll Escape tell you from what, LA, which... I'll tell you what I'm not going to watch. That is, it's not an apocalypse movie, but it has that sort of vibe. Um, Twenty One Bridges, which is slated to come out soon. Oh no! Have you Wait, seen the hey. movie? Twenty One Bridges out? came out like six months ago, Drew. <laughs> oh, so, so uh, it did really well then, huh? Oh, so I did have a big one that I wanted to shout out. Um, I almost actually put this at my number five slot, and that is the anime anime movie 1988's Akira. Um, Ooh, yeah. Have you guys ever seen Akira? I feel like every anime Akira is like apocalypse movie. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, but I think Akira is kind of the best of the bunch, especially, like, you want to talk about a rewatchable movie? That's a movie that you almost have to watch, like, multiple times to really understand all the layers that it's working on, and Akira is absolutely incredible. Some unbelievable, like, motorcycle chase sequences. The movie came out in 88, like, over 30 years ago, and it still looks incredible. All right, well, I think we have to wrap it up, boys. Thanks for listening to We Bought a Mic. Thanks for being with us in these trying times, testing the us. The final episode. Yeah, this, I, honestly, this might be the last episode of this podcast. If one of us gets coronavirus and uh, has to undergo into intensive care, uh, might be it. Might be it. So please stay safe out there. Please watch over your friends and loved ones and neighbors. Check on each other. Try not to go outside, practice social distancing and uh, self-quarantine. Try not to touch anything. Try not to touch anyone. Wash your hands, all that good shit. Stay at home, you stupid fucks. Yeah. Watch (laughs) movies. It's the easiest thing you can do is be at home. And watch shit. You know, this is the time. This is the time to catch up on all those old movies you said you would never watch. Yeah, it's time to do it. Meantime, hey, I'm fully exhausted. Hey, I will say, I will say for listeners of the podcast, sign up for the Criterion Channel. That's where you can find my number one movie, Doctor Strangelove. Uh oh, 
on Criterion Channel right now. You know, you know what I put on the other night on Criterion is Adaptation. Mm. Great oh. movie. I fucking yeah. love that movie, man. So fucking good. Ooh, very rewatchable movie. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, it's been nice. We'll probably be remote again next week. Um, we'll play it by ear. And uh, right, I'm gonna come to your fucking house, and I'm gonna give you that virus. I I might have it. I, so I just hate this delay. You might, you might come get it here. So, thanks for listening. We love you. Stay safe. Stay clean. Bye bye. Sing the Weave Out of Mike theme song twice when you wash your hands. <laughs>